A leading scientist says it's aliens, and he ain't backing down. An actual picture of what all of us, all of us, looked like originally. It's all in one picture. You won't believe it. <clears throat> and more TikTok crap. <laughs> Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and for some reason, we are supposed to be live on Rumble. If you're watching on Rumble, please put something in the chat and let me know, because I am watching right now, and we're not live, and I don't know why. Very concerning. All the settings are right, everything is set, but for some reason, my live stream is not live. This has happened before. We will fix it by, once we're done with tonight's live stream, we'll upload a video to Rumble. Same thing, same show. You just can watch it there later. Uh, unbelievable. I don't know why this crap happens. Anyway, let's brighten our lives with a little update on our favorite little Shiba Inu lady. Miko Update. Mickey Miko updates. I can't do Christmas anymore because, you know, it's not Christmas. <sighs> I hope your Christmas was great, by the way. Today, in Malaysia, when the holiday falls on a Sunday or sometimes even a Saturday, they give us the next day off, the next working day. So today was a holiday for us here in Malaysia. I know in the UK, it's also Boxing Day. So I don't know, is that like an official get-off-work holiday for you guys or... I have no idea how that works. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a little distracted here as I try and uh, talk, produce a show, and figure out what's going on with Rumble. I don't know. But I'm going to give this about another 60 seconds, and then I'm going to give up. So, uh, yeah, okay. Miko update. That's what we were doing, weren't we? Yes, we were. Well, here she is. And that is her new friend. <laughs> As lifelike as this other dog looks, it's not. It's the coolest Christmas present I got. <clears throat> it is a resin statue, life-size, of a male Shiba Inu dog. And Miko is fascinated by this thing. She was, uh, this is the first time she'd ever seen it, right after I opened the present. And uh, she was checking it out. She was smelling it all over. It's very realistic looking. If you see it live, I keep getting it confused. I've got it set up around a corner by the stairway. I come downstairs and I keep thinking it's Miko off to the side. It's not. It's this resin statue thing, but she's been fascinated by it. Yeah, see, she checked out all the parts too. Uh, I don't know if she, it, it's, it is a male. That's rather um, <clears throat> obvious, if you know what I mean. But I don't know if visually that means anything to her. I think it's a smell thing with dogs. So anyway, she was having the time of her life. Look at that. This thing is just absolutely amazing. It's an incredible Shiba Inu statue. Got a collar and everything. And uh, the other day, she was actually sleeping right in front of it. So apparently, she has accepted it as one of her own. 
But yeah, that's our Miko update. She's doing very well. Happy eating me out of house and home. And our update is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. That's the link you go to if you want our special deal. What's BarkBox? Very cool subscription service you get. You sign up, go to BarkBox.com slash Miko. And every month, they will send you a themed box of toys, treats, and a dog chew. They're all incredibly high-quality stuff. You get a couple of toys in the box. There's a theme every month, so it's related to whatever the theme is. A couple of bags of uh, dog treats, which are all natural and very good for your dog. No artificial ingredients and all that crap. You can specify small, medium, or large, depending upon the size of your dog, and they will adjust all the items accordingly. You also get a dog chew, one uh, package of dog chews every month. If you sign up for a multi-month, you can sign up for one month. That's it. Test them out if you want. But trust me, you'll be back. You can sign up for a six-month or a 12-month subscription. And if you use our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, you'll get one month free. Nice. That's like a $35 value. They ship to the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada international shipping. They hope will begin next year. I sure hope so, because I hear from my fans that are not in the U.S., U.S. territories or Canada all the time saying, man, I really want to get the Sparkbox thing, but they don't ship here. Now, one thing I've explained several times you can do is they have these forward shipping services. You can sign up for one of those. They're fairly cheap. You just pay a small fee, and then you ship it to them. They ship it to you, wherever you are in the world. Also, of course, if you have a friend over there in the U.S. or Canada, you can always have it shipped to them, and then they can turn it around and ship it back out to you. That's another way around it. And while we wait for BarkBox to ship internationally, BarkBox.com slash Miko. Ashraf Nazir, hello. Welcome into the stream. Good to have you along, and thank you for the like. I really appreciate it. Be sure you follow and subscribe. Thanks. Um, yeah, so BarkBox.com. Check them out. Customer service is great. If there's ever anything you're not happy with, you just let them know, and they will make it right. Alrighty. Now, the strangest thing happens. When, when I... Okay, wait. I went to do laundry today. Yeah, my exciting life on a holiday. I went and did laundry. Anyway, right next to the laundromat, there's a convenience store. I felt really thirsty. And so I was going through the cooler and I'm, I check out, they have coconut water, which I love coconut water and it's very thirst quenching. So there was this big bottle, a large size coconut water. I could never finish it. And it's not really good once it gets warm, really. But anyway, so I didn't buy that one. I bought the smaller one, different brand. Made my purchase. I paid in cash, so I didn't use my credit card. Walked out of the store. Walked into the laundromat, sat down, started drinking my coconut water. Wait, this gets better. I, I'm on my phone, mucking around. And what shows up? On my phone, this ad. <laughs> I didn't say coconut water. I didn't mention it. I didn't take a picture of it. I simply looked at it, bought the smaller bottle, 
walked up to the counter, paid in cash, and left. Two minutes later, this ad for Carte Coconut Water, and this, by the way, is the one I didn't pick. You see how big the container is? This is the exact product I did not pick in that cooler at the convenience store. Tell me they're not watching you. Let me get my tinfoil hat on straight here. I'm telling you, it was the absolute weirdest thing. All right. And this has been a day of weird things because the top link in our show notes, for some reason now, doesn't work. I, I tested it just before we went on the air. And the link doesn't work. It's to futurism.com, which is this site. And it was a story about a scientist that uh, actually a long time ago, well, a long time ago, there was a uh, an odd thing in space they discovered called Oumuamua. And they there was the idea was that it was some sort of spaceship, alien spaceship. And it had some sort of uh, para, uh, parachute in the front of it, which collected the sun's radiation and propelled it forward. Anyway, there's this whole theory behind it. There's a lot of YouTube videos you can find out. Oumuamua, O-U-M-U-A-M-U-A, if you want to look it up. It's a fascinating story. But this Harvard professor, and, and people have debunked it or you know said, nah, that's crap, it's just garbage, it's just a giant space rock. But this Harvard professor is defending his position that it is absolutely an alien spaceship. I wish they, I think they might have deleted the story. Don't know why. Look it up. Harvard professor, Oumuamua, you may find it. But if the, if the link is to futurism.com, the link is gone. Meantime, I go to the main page and I haven't actually checked this site out, so I thought I would share it with you anyway, since we can't talk about the alien spaceship, because I don't have the story. But this site has the... Look at this. Tesla semi-truck drives 500 miles fully loaded. Here's a good one. A brain parasite is making wolves into pack leaders. Well, maybe we should give some of uh, that brain parasite to Congress. <laughs> Headlines about scientists building a wormhole are total nonsense. This is a very cool site. Some of these stories I will use in future shows because they are amazing. Very, very cool site. And uh, lots of great stories there. I highly recommend this if you're looking. You know, sometimes you sit down at the computer. You just want to waste some time. You're not sure what it is you want to find or do. Futurism.com. It, it is a cool site. Sadly, they got rid of uh, they got rid of the the article I was going to use for tonight's show, but that's fine. All right, we do have uh, we do have more rather odd stuff. It's not rather odd. It's all of our original baby pictures, baby picture, I should say, a single picture. A microbe, which has tons of tentacles sticking off of it. I'll show you a picture in a minute. This is a, mi a new microbe which has been discovered. It's actually been grown. 
Asgard Archaea. Scientists have successfully grown this thing in the lab and took amazingly detailed images of it. And it may be the direct ancestor of all complex life. That's what you used to look like. Maybe. <laughs> look at that thing. It looks like a virus, honestly. Detailed images of an Asgard Archeon, Archeon, an evolutionary ancient microbe that may very well have been the key to how complex life emerged on the Earth. Ancient microbes, whose existence precede the rise of nucleus-carrying cells on Earth, may hold the secrets to how such complex cells first came to be. And now, for the first time, scientists have grown this in the lab under controlled conditions, and they were able to study it and take detailed, up-close photographs of this thing. It's grown large enough. Unbelievable. Cool story. They called the uh, researchers grew an organism called, oh, I'll never do this one, Lochiarchium ossiferum. That's not bad, probably belongs to a group of microbes known as Asgard archaea, according to a new report published just last Wednesday, less than a week ago, in the journal Nature. It's named after the abode of the gods in North mythology, and uh, it's thought by some scientists to be the closest evolutionary relative of eukaryotes, eukaryotes, which is cells... Listen, it's not hard. Cells that package their DNA into a protective bubble called a nucleus. Those then grow, they evolve, become a multi-celled creature. A multi-celled creature that grows in the ocean, which then crawls up onto the land. And the next thing you know, you have a Karen asking for a manager. <laughs> Anyway, part of the revolution, uh, evolutionary tree of life, it is the sister of eukaryotes, uh, or as they're perhaps even their direct ancestor. So, if these scientists are right, that may be all of we humans' first baby picture. The link to this story is in our show notes, and you can check that out. Uh, it's a cool story. There's lots of lots of really cool information in there, so do check it out. I hear Miko getting ready to do a barking session again downstairs. I think the neighbors are, I don't know, doing something. All right. TikTok. You know how we love TikTok on this show? Not. Hang on. I need a coffee break. I've warned you a billion times. Not only you, but your kids. Get them off TikTok. Delete TikTok. Take it off your phone. Take it off your kids' phones. It is spyware. It is tracking you. It is stealing your data. I know. Hugely popular. All oh, everybody's got to be on TikTok. You are making a mistake, folks. You are making an enormous mistake, which hopefully you'll never have to actually pay for. But some people are, including some journalists in the U.S. Check this out. Links in our show notes. TikTok spied 
on U.S. journalists and other U.S. users monitoring their location. Highlighting the privacy concerns many have raised about the social media app, ByteDance, the Chinese parent company of TikTok, has admitted that some of their employees use the app to improperly obtain the IP address of two U.S. journalists, and they used this data to monitor their physical locations. Not kidding. If you don't know what an IP address is, Internet Protocol, IP, it is a number that is assigned to you when you sign on to the Internet. It is unique to you. It has all kinds of data in it, including your location. And if people have your IP address, unless you're using like a VPN or you're blocking it or things like that, they can track you. And ByteDance, which owns and operates TikTok, has done exactly that. User IP addresses, other online services, whenever you connect to them, uh, by default, it will reveal the geolocation of you when you're signed on with your phone, with your laptop, with whatever it is. They made the admission after performing an internal investigation and said that Emily Baker White, a former BuzzFeed reporter who now works at Forbes, and Christina Criddle, a Financial Times reporter, were surveilled. ByteDance also admitted a small number of people connected to the reporters had their data improperly accessed. So not just you, your friends. Maybe somebody with the, an IP in the same location that you happen to be. Two of its reporters formerly worked at Buzz News, BuzzFeed. Uh, Catherine Schwab, Richard Navira were also tracked. Most of them were targeted by TikTok, have reported on the company. And some of those reports highlighted TikTok's struggles, privacy concerns connected with the app. For example, Baker White previously reported on ByteDance plans to use TikTok to monitor the physical location of Americans, while Criddle previously reported on TikTok's troubled UK expansion. So these reporters reported on things that didn't reflect very well on TikTok because they're spying on you, stealing your information, and what do they do? They come after the reporters. Wow. Sounds like the U.S. government, huh? I'm telling you. (laughs) Please, folks, please, I know. Go to Rumble. Go to YouTube. You want to share videos. Just get off TikTok and get TikTok off your kids' phones. It's dangerous. It's not safe. It is gathering your data. It is, if you, here's the deal. Read the total terms of service. Read the TOS for TikTok when you first sign up. If anything, read them thoroughly and understand them. There's a lot of crap in there, but there's a lot of scary stuff in there too. I read it when I first put the app on my phone and I never even opened it after I read the terms of service. I deleted it, scrubbed it, gone, because there is no way I am giving these people access to that kind of information. Read it. Find out what it is. 
These people are going to take this information. They're going to abuse it. I promise you. And it's already happening right here in the U.S. of A. I know. I'm in Malaysia. But I am a U.S. citizen still. And uh, I still love the United States of America. And I always will. I love this country to pieces. But uh, my heart is still in, in the U.S. And it always will be. And these kind of stories scare me because we talk a lot on this show about digital IDs, digital currency, and how dangerous it is. Well, here's a perfect example from Radio City Music Hall. This is from uh, reclaimthenet.org. Radio City Music Hall uses, listen to this, uses facial recognition to keep out a blackmailed, blacklisted guest. A mother was kicked out of Radio City Music Hall after being detected. A lawyer from New Jersey was not allowed to watch a Christmas show with her daughter at a venue operated by Madison Square Garden Entertainment. Because, now listen to this, it's not her. Her employer is involved in litigation with Madison Square Garden Entertainment. The most interesting part of the story is that Madison Square Garden Entertainment used facial recognition to detect her and ban her from the event. She'd accompanied her daughter's Girl Scout troop to see the Rockettes perform. It's been going on for decades and decades at Radio City Music Hall uh, in New York, New York City, if you're not familiar. She was not allowed to enter the venue because MSG has a policy against allowing any visitor affiliated with a law firm involved in litigation against it. And they found her by using AI and facial recognition. Those monitors were able to detect her presence. The alarm bells went off. Security was called. And they gave her the boot. Unbelievable. Just one small example of the kind of crap that's going to happen on a regular basis. If you allow digital IDs, central bank digital currency, and all that stuff to store your data, store your face, store your financial information, your personal information, so it is available to anyone, and most importantly, the government. God forbid. Link to this story is in our show notes. There's a little more details in there if you want to check it out and read up on it. It's from reclaimthenet.org. And it is just another example of the kind of scary crap these people are. Oh, it'll make your life easier. It's for the common good. It never is. And it's going on all over the world. Not just the U.S. I mean, in China, it's like an art form. It's it's a regular thing there. It's a daily event. Look it up. You're going to be sorry. Call your representatives. Call your congresspeople. Call your MPs. 
and tell them you are totally against any kind of digital ID. <laughs> All right. Lighten the mood. You ready? Have you ever heard of an earth sandwich? This is the dumbest thing, but I absolutely love this. This guy posted a picture. He's from Gunpo, South Korea. Well, this guy looked up on some search engine or maybe Google Earth or something, and he found the exact opposite place on the planet to exactly where he was in Gunpo, South Korea. Turns out it was Montevideo, Uruguay. So <laughs> here's what they did. They made an earth sandwich at 8 a.m. for the guy in South Korea and 8 p.m. for the guy in Uruguay. They each put a piece of bread on the ground and made ba-ba, an earth sandwich. <laughs> Probably also the biggest sandwich ever made in the world. This is so funny. I love the internet. It's, uh, somebody made the comment, which is great, said, hey, if you didn't get the coordinates right, then it's one of those sandwiches where the tomato goes shooting out the other side when you bite into it. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are the kind of wacky, nutty things that I I get all pissed off about some story about digital IDs or TikTok spying on you. And then I switch to the next page and I find a story about a couple of knuckleheads making an earth sandwich. <laughs> <coughs> all right. We've got a new book starting tonight, by the way. I'm very excited about it. It's an old book, but it's a classic. I think you're going to like it. And our last book was Bambi, which was amazing. Such a great read. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed reading it. But I found this just today. Absolutely amazing. I wish I'd found it while we were reading Bambi. But nevertheless, Donnie Dunnigan was the youngest U.S. Marine drill instructor. And a drill instructor for the U.S. Marines is not somebody you want to trifle with. This guy was the youngest one ever. Did three tours in Vietnam and was wounded several times. He retired as a major in 1977. This is a man's man. This is a he-man. Ura. Throughout his career, he managed to keep it a secret that he had been the voice of Bambi in the original 1942 Disney animated film. Wow. This man's man, he man, don't take any crap from anybody guy was the voice of Bambi. <laughs> I love that. That is beyond cool. That is just absolutely incredible. Ha! Imagine that. All right. Hey, uh, just so you know, a little programming note. 
we did not get our we did not get our rumble.com live up and running. I don't know what happened. So if you're watching this on Rumble, you're watching a replay. Thank you for uh, watching. I appreciate it. We get lots of we get more views on Rumble than any other platform we are live on. And uh, anyway, uh, thanks for checking us out. We really appreciate it. Please do subscribe over there on Rumble. It's free. You can set up an account. It's free. You don't have to upload videos. You can just have an account there. And uh, be sure you subscribe. Just look up the uh, the Jay Sheldon Show. All right. Our next book, we read books on this show. They are uh, classic books. They're in the public domain. And uh, we separate them out chapter by chapter as we go through. And we get to the end. We start on to another book. We finished Bambi. We had a little Christmas break with a Christmas story. And uh, now we are starting a brand new classic, classic novel. This is such an amazing book. It is called White Thang. It was originally a series in a magazine and then published in book form in October of 1906, written by Jack London, who passed away in 1916. Much of White Fang is written from the viewpoint of the titular canine character, uh, enabling London to explore how animals view their world and how they view humans. White Fang examines the violent world of wild animals and the equally violent world of humans. The book also explores a lot of complex themes, including morality, redemption. Uh, As early as 1925, the story was adapted to film, since had a lot of cinematic adaptions. And uh, in fact, in 2018, Netflix did an original film of White Fang. It's a great story, and I will be reading the original White Fang once I get it up and running. (laughs) It's here somewhere, trust me. Uh, I'm just not sure where. Okay, here we go. Do that, click there, click there, and go. Oh, wait, I forgot one more thing. The cover of the book. That's a more recent one, not the original. All right, here we go. It's chapter one, The Trail of the Meat. Dark spruce forests frowned on either side of the frozen waterway. The trees had been stripped by a recent wind of their white covering of frost, and they seemed to lean towards each other, black and ominous in the fading light. A vast silence reigned over the land. The land itself was a desolation, lifeless, without movement, so lone and cold that the spirit of it was not even that of sadness. There was a hint in it of laughter, but of a laughter more terrible than any sadness, a laughter that was mirthless as the smile of a sphinx, a laughter cold as the frost and partaking of the grimness of infallibility. It was the masterful and incommunications wisdom of eternity, laughing at the futility of life, the effort of life. It was the wild, savage, the frozen-hearted Northland wild. 
But there was life, broad in the land and defiant. Down the frozen waterway toiled a string of wolfish dogs. Their bristling fur was rimmed with frost. Their breath froze in the air as it left their mouths, spouting forth in spoons of vapor that settled on the hair of their bodies and formed into crystals of frost. Leather harnesses was on the dogs, and leather traces attached them to the sled, which dragged along behind. The sled was without runners. It was made of stout birch bark, and its full surface rested on the snow. The front end of the sled was turned up like a scroll in order to force down and under the bore of soft snow that surged like a wave before it. On the sled, securely lashed, was a long and narrow oblong box. There were other things on the sled, blankets, an axe, a coffee pot, frying pan, but prominent, occupying most of the space, was the long and narrow oblong box. In advance of the dogs, the wide snowshoes toiled a man. At the rear of the sled toiled a second man, and on the sled, in the box, lay a third man, whose toil was over. A man whom the wild had conquered, and beaten down until he would never more move nor struggle again. It's not the way of the wild to like movement. Life has an offense to it, for life is movement. The wild aims always to destroy movement. It freezes the water to prevent it from running to the sea. It drives the sap out of the trees till they're frozen to their mighty hearts. Most ferociously and terribly of all does the wild carry and crush into submission man. Man, who is the most restless of life, ever in revolt against the dictum that all movement must, in the end, come to the cessation of movement. But at front and rear, unawed, indomitable, toiled the two men who were not yet dead. Their bodies were covered with fur, soft tanned leather. Eyelashes and cheeks and lips were so coated with crystals from their frozen breath, their faces were not discernible. This gave them that seeming of ghostly masks, undertakers in a spectral world at the funeral of some ghost. But under it all, they were men, penetrating the land of desolation and mockery and silence, puny adventurers bent on colossal adventure, pitting themselves against the might of a world as remote and alien and pulseless as the abyss of space. They traveled on without speech, saving their breath for the work of their bodies. On every side was the silence, pressing upon them with a tangible presence. It affected their minds as the many atmospheres of deep water affect the body of the diver. It crushed them with the weight of unending vastness and unalterable decree. It crushed them in the remotest recesses of their own minds, pressing out of them like juices from a grape. All the false ardors and exultations and undue self-values of the human soul until they perceived themselves finite, small, specks and motes, moving with weak cunning and little wisdom amidst the play and interplay 
of the great blind elements and forces. An hour went by, a second hour. The pale light of the short sunless day was beginning to fade when a faint far cry rose in the still air. It soared upward with a swift rush till it reached its topmost note where it persisted, palpitant, tense, and then slowly died away. It might have been a lost soul wailing had it not been invested with a certain sad fierceness and hungry eagerness. The front man turned his head until his eyes met the eyes of the man behind. And then, across the narrow oblong box, each nodded to the other. A second cry arose, piercing the silence with needle-like shrillness. Both men located the sound. It was to the rear, somewhere in the snow expanse they'd just traversed. A third, an answering cry arose, also to the rear and to the left of the second cry. They're after us, Bill, said the man at the front. His voice sounded hoarse and unreal, and he'd spoken with apparent effort. Meat is scarce, answered his comrade. I ain't seen a rabbit for days. Thereafter they spoke no more. Through their ears were keen for the hunting cries that continued to rise behind them. At the fall of darkness, they swung the dogs into a cluster of spruce trees on the edge of the waterway and made a camp. The coffin, at the side of the fire, served for a seat and a table. The wolf dogs clustered on the far side of the fire, snarling and bickering among themselves, but evinced no inclination to stray off into the darkness. Seems to me, Henry, they're staying remarkably close to camp, Bill commented. Henry, squatting over the fire, settling the pot of coffee with a piece of ice, nodded. Nor did he speak till he'd taken his seat and the coffin and began to eat. They know where their hides are safe, he said. They'd sooner eat grub than be grub. They're pretty wise, them dogs. Bill shook his head. Uh, I don't know. His comrade looked at him curiously. First time I ever heard you say anything about their not being wise. Henry, said the other, munching with deliberation the beans he was eating. Did you happen to notice the way them dogs kicked up when I was a-feeding them? They did cut up a little more than usual, Henry acknowledged. How many dogs we got, Henry? Six. Well, Henry, Bill stopped for a moment in order that his words might gain greater significance. As I was saying, Henry, we got six dogs. I took six fish out of the bag. I gave one fish to each dog, and Henry, I was one fish short. Ah, you counted wrong. We got six dogs, the other reiterated dispassionately. I took out six fish. One ear didn't get no fish. Came back to the bag afterwards and got him his fish. We've only got six dogs, Henry said. Henry, Bill went on, I won't say they was all dogs. But there was seven of them that got fish. Henry stopped eating to glance across the fire and count the dogs. There's only six now, he said. 
Saw the other one run off across the snow, Bill countered with cool positiveness. I saw seven. Henry looked at him commiseratingly and said, I'll be almighty glad when this trip is over. What do you mean by that? Bill demanded. I mean this load of ours is getting your nerves all tied up and you're beginning to see things. Well, I thought of that, Bill answered gravely. And so when I saw it run off across the snow, I looked in the snow and saw its tracks. Then I counted the dogs and there was still six of them. The tracks is there in the snow now. You want to look at them, I'll show them to you. Henry did not reply, but munched on in silence until the meal finished. He topped it off with a final cup of coffee, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and said, Then you're thinking, as it was, a long wailing cry, fiercely sad from somewhere in the darkness, had interrupted him. He stopped to listen to it. Then he finished his sentence with a wave of his hand toward the sound of the cry. One of them? Bill nodded. I'd blame sight sooner think that that than anything else. You notice yourself the row the dogs made. Cry after cry and answering cries were turning the silence into a bedlam. From every side the cries arose and the dogs betrayed their fear by huddling together and so close to the fire their hair was scorched by the heat. Bill threw on more wood before lighting his pipe. I'm thinking you're down in the mouth, son, Henry said. Henry, he sucked meditatively on his pipe for some time before he went on. Henry... I was thinking what a blame sight luckier he is than you and me'll ever be. He indicated the third person by a downward thrust of a thumb to the box on which they sat. You and me, Henry, when we die, we'll be lucky if we get enough stones over our carcasses to keep the dogs off of us. But we ain't got people and money and all the rest like him, Henry rejoiced. Long-distance funerals is something you and me can't exactly afford. What gets me, Henry, is what a chap like this, that's a lord or something in his own country, never had to bother about grub or blankets. Why he comes a button around this godforsaken end of the earth, that's what I can't exactly see. He might have lived to a ripe old age if he stayed at home, Henry agreed. Bill opened his mouth to speak, but changed his mind. Instead, he pointed toward the wall of darkness that pressed about them from every side. There was no suggestion of form in the utter blackness. Only could be seen a pair of eyes gleaming like live coals. Henry indicated with his head a second pair and a third. A circle of the gleaming eyes had drawn around their camp. Now and again, a pair of eyes moved or disappeared, only to appear again a moment later. The unrest of the dogs had been increasing, and they stampeded in a surge of sudden fear, to the near side of the fire, cringing and crawling about the legs of the men. In the scramble, one of the dogs had overturned on the edge of the fire and yelped with pain and fright as the smell of its singed coat possessed the air. 
The commotion caused the circle of eyes to shift restlessly for a moment, even to withdraw a bit. But it settled down again as the dogs became quiet. Henry, it's a blame misfortune to be out of ammunition. Bill finished his pipe, was helping his companion to spread the bed of fur and blankets on the spruce boughs which he'd laid over the snow before supper. Henry grunted, began unlacing his moccasins. How many cartridges you say we had left? he asked. Three, came the answer, and I wished was three hundred. Then I'd show him what for, damn him. He shook his fist angrily at the gleaming eyes, began securely to prop his moccasins before the fire. And I wish this cold snap break, he went on. It's been fifty below for two weeks now. And I wished I'd never started on this trip, Henry. I don't like the looks of it. I don't feel right somehow. I'm a-wishing, I'm-wishing the trip was over and done with, and you and me sitting by the fire at Fort McGurry. Just about now to play some cribbage. That's what I wished. Henry grunted, crawled into bed, dozed off. He was aroused by his comrade's voice. Uh, say, Henry, that other one that's come and got a fish, why don't the dogs pitch into it? That's what's bothering me. You're bothering me too much, Bill, came the sleepy response. You was never like this before. You just shut up now and go to sleep, and you'll be all hunky-dory in the morning. Your stomach's sour. That's what's bothering you. The men slept, breathing heavily, side by side under one cover. The fire died down. The gleaming eyes drew closer, the circle that had flung around the camp. The dogs clustered together in fear, now and again snarling menacingly as a pair of eyes would draw close. Once their uproar became so loud that Bill woke up. He got out of his bed carefully so as not to disturb the sleep of his comrade and threw more wood on the fire. As it began to flame up, the circle of eyes drew back further. He glanced casually at the huddling dogs he rubbed his eyes and looked at them more sharply. Then he crawled back into the blankets. Henry, he said. Oh, Henry. Henry groaned as he passed from sleep to waking and demanded, What's wrong now? Nothing, came the answer. There's only seven of them again. I just counted. Henry acknowledged receipt of the information with a grunt that slid into a snore as he drifted back to sleep. In the morning, it was Henry who awoke first, routed his companion out of bed. Daylight was yet three hours away, although it was already six o'clock, and in the darkness, Henry went about preparing breakfast while Bill rolled the blankets and made the sled ready for lashing. Uh, say, Henry, he asked suddenly, how many dogs do you say we had? Six. Wrong. Bill proclaimed triumphantly. Seven again? Henry queried. No, five. One's gone. The hell, Henry cried in wrath, leaving the cooking to come and count the dogs. You're right, Bill, he concluded. Fatty's gone. And he went like grease lightning once he got started. Couldn't even see him for smoke. No chance at all, Henry concluded. They'd just swallowed him alive. I'll bet he was yelping as he went down their throats, damn him. Eh, he was always a fool dog, said Bill. 
No fool dog ought to be fool enough to go off and commit suicide that way. He looked over the remainder of the team with a speculative eye that summed up instantly the salient traits of each animal. I bet none of the others would do it. Couldn't drive them away from the fire with a club, Bill agreed. I always did think there was something wrong with Fatty anyway. And this was the epitaph of a dead dog on the Northland Trail. Less scant than the epitaph of many another dog and of many a man. Did I tell you? What a great opening. That's chapter one of White Fang. Coming up on Wednesday's show, we will do chapter two, which is called The She-Wolf. Cool beans. I'm so glad we picked this book. Great story, White Fang. All right, that's it for us, folks. Thanks a bunch for popping by and saying hello. Be sure to like and follow, subscribe. I believe we didn't make it on to uh, rumble.com tonight. I will have a video uploaded to the channel in the next half hour or so, so you get to watch it over there if you like. Please do, by the way, rumble.com. Damn cool place. Great videos on all kinds of topics. Politics, cooking, viral videos, dog and cat videos, sports is covered there, finance, you name it. Rumble.com. And while you're there, just look up The Jay Sheldon Show and give us a subscribe. We really appreciate it. It costs you nothing. And uh, it does us the world of good. It really does. We thank you for that. All right. See you again on Wednesday. This is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night.